Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus right now. I just pray that each one of us would come tonight with our knees bowed, mm -hmm. Lord. And I just thank you so much for the work that you have done already, for the work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that it would continue to be so tonight, Lord, that we would just continue to, to seek your face, and that this would not be about, about listening to a sermon or just getting through the rest of the day, but that we would just, just pour out our all, Lord. Just be willing for whatever you have for us tonight, Lord. That what Brother Rod speaks, Lord, would be of you. It would be by your Holy Spirit. That it would be nothing of the flesh. It would be nothing of Rod. But that he would just be an open vessel for you to flow through tonight, Lord. I just pray that most of all that your name would be exalted. And that we would come before your throne. And that we would just seek your face. Mm -hmm. Just pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. As we uh, gather into worship tonight and think about revival, one thing that strikes me, I. Uh, I just pray that you sisters enjoyed a rich time of fellowship like we did. A time of confession, a time of repentance, a time of conviction. Uh, we want to think about revival. It's already started. And I'm excited about that. We said that as we uh, start out tonight, we want to look at a very dark day in the Bible. And I'd like for you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel. And I think to get the, uh, the setting here, we're going to back up. We're going to read the fourth chapter in its entirety. But I would like to back up to the second chapter of 1 Samuel and begin to see where this all started to take place. It, it's, you see, darkness doesn't happen uh, usually just in a flash. It just starts getting a little dim, and a little more dim, and the next thing you know, um, we find ourselves in the darkness. Uh, Brother Troy, are you too tied up with children to help us with the lights again as we read? Uh, Anthony said he would. Thank you. I just like, I'm going to read three different passages of Scripture, and if you would, Anthony, just the, the far left one there, just begin to dim that down slowly as I read. First uh, Samuel chapter 2. Verse 12, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's customs with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let, not, let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay. But thou shalt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. I'd like to look at another uh, few verses here in this 22nd verse, and maybe you can start there on the middle dial. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all, the, all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye thee such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. 
Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. I'm going to pass over the message of a, a prophet of God who came to Eli just for the sake of time. If you want to read that later, you can. I want to look at chapter 3, verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, this is, this is the word that came to the little child Samuel. You remember how Samuel was called of the Lord and, and he thought it was Eli and Eli sent him back and he finally realized it's God speaking and this is the message God spoke to, to Samuel. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house when I begin and I will make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile. And he restrained them not. Therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. A dark day in the history of Israel. Okay, you can turn the lights back up. Thank you. I'd like to read now the fourth chapter. This was a prophecy that came to him. I want you to notice that Eli had been warned. Eli was given an opportunity. Eli warned his sons and they refused it. And Eli was warned again. And now comes the fourth chapter of 1 Samuel. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. So now we've got the setting here. Um, Israel's fighting this battle with the Philistines in about 4,000 funerals. 4,000 men gave their lives, and they were smitten. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, listen closely, it may save us out of the hand of the enemies. So the people went to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, that's Hophni, excuse me, and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? which are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten and they fled every man into his tent and there was a very great slaughter for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. 
And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching for, for, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, Where is, where, excuse me, what is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell from off his seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck brake and he died. For he was an old man and heavy. And he had judged Israel forty years. And his daughter-in-law, Phinehas's wife, was with child near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings of the ark of God, that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel. Because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. A very dark day in the history of Israel. Ichabod, the glory is departed. Ichabod. How would you like to carry that name? All the rest of his life. Ichabod. The glory of Israel has departed. Well, I want to ask you a question. As you look, uh, you know, we're, we're several thousand years beyond this event. In fact, we, here we are 2,000 years beyond the cross, nearly so. What would your assessment be of the church of Jesus Christ? Now, I don't want to ask that in a critical way tonight, and I don't want to point any fingers in fact, we're going to make this message extremely personal before we get through it. But you know, I, I heard a message one time. It's been a few years back. I think, in fact, Brother David was there. Uh, we were there at Burn, Indiana at the uh, leadership conference. And there was a message one night about this very subject. And I remember him talking about the... the state of the church and how the church, the glory was departing from the church. And it really struck me because you know what he said about the glory departing from the church? It started little by little by little by little. Just like the lights tonight as they were dimmed down. Just a little. Wasn't too noticeable. Just a little. Just a little. And finally, it was in complete darkness. Well, uh, one of the things that Brother Paul Weaver shared that night was that the amazing thing about it is early on in the, the early stages after God's glory has departed is you really don't see it. 
Maybe it's not that noticeable. He said that the church lights are still on. The doors are still open. The people still gather for worship. The people still sing the songs. The people still gather in prayer. The sermons are still preached. The programs go on. But the glory has departed. The power of God has moved out. And it just the machinery just keeps on rolling. I want to share a personal experience we had right here in the state of Washington. It's been several years ago now. Our family, um, Gary and Patty Miller's family and our family went to Boeing plant. How many of you have been to the Boeing plant? So you know the size of the building and, the, and it's an impressive thing. And we were all there and we had a good day and, and we had gone through the, and seen these big airplanes and all of this and it was impressive. And we got on the highway in our rented minivan and Gary and I were, I was driving and Gary was in the front seat and we got out on the highway and we were running with the traffic. And all of a sudden I was driving and I didn't hear anything. What I began to feel was that the accelerator was funny. Something was going on with the accelerator. And I pushed a little harder and nothing happened and I pushed a little harder and nothing happened and I, I looked and I realized we were out of gas. We had completely run out of gas. I kicked it up into neutral and I kind of chuckled and shook my head. You, you didn't get gas. You know, I was kind of beating up on myself. And I looked over at Gary. He was still talking. And as soon as he got done, I said, you're not going to believe this. We're out of gas. And he looked at me funny like, what are you talking about? <laughs> because we were running downhill with the traffic on the highway and, and we were out of power. And nobody knew it. We were just running along with the traffic downhill. And I said, we're out of gas. And, and it finally sunk in and we talked about, oh yeah, well, now what are we going to do? And we run, I don't know now how long that hill is. I probably should go back and figure it out sometime just because it's amazing how far we went. But we were going down and I'm, th I'm just driving along. No power. The people around us didn't know it. The people in the back of the van didn't know it, just me and Gary. And as we were coming along down the road, up comes an, uh, an exit ramp. And so I wheeled over on the exit ramp. It was a nice long gentleman, still going downhill, big old curve to a stoplight. And we, we just come right down around that curve. The light turned green and we made it right around and kept on going downhill. <laughs> And I, we went about a block or two. I don't remember exactly uh, how far it was. And there was another traffic light up there. And it's a four-lane four road. There's two lanes going our way and two lanes coming towards us. And we had the road to ourselves. About that time, my cell phone rang. So here I am driving a van with no power. And my cell phone rings. And so I answered the phone. It was Jane at the office. And she had some questions. And so I'm answering questions. Still no power. And the light turns red and I had to stop. So there we sat. And then the light turned green and Gary jumped out and started pushing and we got her going again. And so we're rolling down the hill again. Remember, no power. But no one on the sidewalk would have ever known. It looked good. And we were coming down towards another red light and you know what? Right across the intersection was a gas station. And that light turned, there was a bunch of traffic at the light coming towards us, two lanes of it. That light turned green and we shot through that intersection right into the gas station, right to the pump. Now that's, that was, thank you Lord. But the reality is, we were running with no power and that's exactly what can happen to our congregation. God's glory can walk out the door and the program can keep on moving. And so tonight we want to talk about uh, something besides Ichabod. That's just kind of icky, isn't it? When I think about Ichabod, I just, uh, that's what comes to my mind. Icky. Ichabod. Well, we want to talk about something glorious. We want to talk about the return of God's glory. I have two friends that 
uh, know Hebrew much better than I, and so I, call, I sent an email to both of them. One was Dale Ballsball there at, um, in Ohio, and the other's a Jewish friend of mine. And I said, um, could you tell me, I, I want to talk about the glory returning. And um, Dale sent me two words, or two um, phrases in Hebrew. One of them is kabod, kabod, ba, kabod, ba, and that means glory came. And I'm going to just give you everything he gave me here. The other one is kabod, shiva. You're going to have a quiz on this tomorrow. Kabod Shiva, and that means glory return. But my Jewish friend sent this, and I wanted to uh, put it up here because this is the title of the text tonight. It's Teshuva, Teshuva. Kavad Hashim. Teshuva Kavad Hashim. Return to the glory of God. Return to the glory of God. Well, we want to talk about revival and returning to the glory of God. And, and the first thing, we're going to talk about revival tonight. As we are returning to the glory of God, I want to look at this in five different areas. I didn't hardly leave myself enough room over here. But tonight we want to talk about revival. And revival, firstly, is personal. Revival is personal. And I don't know how you are, but um, and I've heard, I've heard this a lot from people. They just really wish their church would have a revival. You ever thought that? You just have you ever just wished that your church would have a revival? I'm not talking about a series of revival meetings. I mean a revival. Um, you might even think about a certain era of time where there was a great revival, uh, a certain era of time in history. But we're talking about revival. The return to the glory of God is personal. Every revival that's ever happened happened when people, when an individual, when people started to return their hearts to the glory of God. That God might return to them. And so tonight we're going to look at several scriptures. I'm just going to, I'm not even going to turn to them because we're all tired. I was yawning before I came up here. And, and I don't want us to get just kind of burnt out on this. I'm just going to briefly go through several scriptures. If you're taking notes, you can write them down, but we won't turn to them. Revival is personal. Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If you want to have the glory of God in your congregation, let it start with you. Make it personal and keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Again, we've already heard, these are, have you noticed that um, these messages start becoming somewhat overlapping and redundant? At that, praise God. You know, really, we're not talking about rocket science. A lot of this, it's pretty simple. It's basic. It's things that, that we can understand. Study to show thyself approved. Be in the Word. If you want revival in your congregation, let it start with you. Let the glory of God return into your life as you study the Word of God and rightly divide the Word of truth. Colossians 2.10 And ye are complete in Him which is the head of all principality and power. Again, we're just taking... We're just Jumping into one verse at a time here, not trying to get the whole picture, but ye are complete in Him. This, this revival that you, that you can want to, you desire and want to have in your congregation, 
is something that you can start with. You can be complete in Him, brother and sister. Can you comprehend that, that you can have completeness in Him? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Make this thing a, a revival personal. The second thing we'd like to talk about tonight in revival is revival is penitent. Now, maybe that's not even a right phrase. I'm going to say that if you want revival, you have to have a repentance. But I needed a P. So, I'm going to have five P's tonight. Revival is penitent. We must have repentance. Genuine, godly sorrow for sin to experience revival. Revival won't come any other way. We're talking about some basics again. Matthew 3. Let's all turn to this one. Matthew chapter 3. We're just going to read a few verses here. Matthew 3.1 says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember, this is actually even the very basis for the church in, in the beginning of the church age. Uh, the message of repentance. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is, uh, this is He that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make His path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Now, I'm not telling you you have to dress like this to have repentance. This is just this is a picture of John the Baptist. Um, if you do, though, I'll guarantee you'll have evangelizing opportunities. You dress like that and start eating locusts and wild honey, and people will be wanting to know why you're doing that. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of Him in Jordan, confessing their sins. You want to talk about revival. Confessing sin and true repentance. But when He saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to His baptism, He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore, therefore fruits meet of repentance. I wanted to read all of this to get to the, the bottom of that. That repentance is not just... A, a little prayer, or it's not just a statement. Uh, you know, I think sometimes in our prayers we have to be careful. Um, I was just talking about this just a little before this session, that too often my prayers can look like this. God, don't let me hit that podium. God, stop me. God, God just give me power not to hit the podium. And I just walk right into it. Because I am not convicted enough to be committed to stop in my tracks and repent. It takes repentance that's genuine that shows fruit. Fruit that proves this repentance. Revival, I'm telling you, is based on repentance. Matthew 9.13 But go ye and learn what that meaneth. And we're getting just a little glimpse of this. You can look these up later. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's the problem. This, the setting that, that this is being spoken in is the problem is they didn't see themselves as sinners. First, we have to, like we've already said, and it's, been, it's come in some of these sessions already, is we've got to take ownership of our own sin. We'll never have revival. We can start a program or keep the program running. We can kind of breathe some little life into a program, but we'll never have revival until we have, take ownership of our own sin and come before God in true repentance. He said, it's not the sacrifices that I wanted. You know, all the blood of bulls and goats, that's not really what I wanted. I wanted mercy 
in the hearts of my, in my people. And he says that he didn't come to call sinners to repentance. Excuse me, not the righteous, but sinners. Righteous in their own eyes. But those who are actually sinners in their own eyes is who he is calling to repentance. Luke 15.7 I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. I, I wonder what it was really, what it's like in heaven. Well, I mean, I was in this room today with all of us men on our faces before God. And I heard you brothers cry out to God in genuine repentance. And I wonder what happened in heaven. What was it like up there today? Was there a shout? Was there a trumpet? Was there rejoicing? Yes! Because if it had just been one of you, there would have been rejoicing. God's interested in revival in His church. God's interested in revival in each of your hearts and in your lives. God's interested in hearing your true repentance. Luke 24, 47. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, uh, obviously we're going to make the application here today, but there needs to be a, a, something happened here today. Something happened that was powerful. Something that heaven rejoiced over. But what will happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? Is there going to be anything happened from this? Or are we all going to go back to our jobs and our schedules and we're going to text everybody about how great it was at Bible study and we really got a lot out of this message and that message and, and maybe we'll... Whatever. What I'm saying is, is there anything going to happen here? Will your congregation see something different in you when you get home? You might be the spark that starts a fire in your own local congregation. I think we ought to stop praying for revival and start praying for repentance. Because I'm telling you, re revival will come when there's genuine repentance. Don't stop praying for revival. Just keep repenting. Acts 3.19 Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That's revival. The times of refreshing coming from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, not to be turned back on, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know, there's a passage of Scripture that always really um, intrigues me. And it's talking about Esau. The fact that Esau was sorry for his sin, the Bible says. He, um, he found no place of... He was not sorry for his sin. Esau found no place of repentance, though he sought it sorrowfully and with tears. I think what that Scripture is actually saying, and, and I would take feedback from any of you, I think what he's saying is he could not change the situation that happened back there. He really wanted to change the circumstance. He wasn't really sorry for what he did. And, and that's the reason that he couldn't find um, true forgiveness and couldn't change. He, he never really in his heart was really sorry for the sin. He was sorry for the circumstance. You ever find yourself that way? I have to confess, I've done that. But this says that that's worldly sorrow. That's worldly sorrow. Sorry for the circumstance. But godly sorrow, it worketh repentance to salvation. Well, there's another thing about revival we want to talk about tonight. And that is that revival is purposeful. How do you spell purposeful? Is there an E in there? E-F-U-L. Okay. Revival is purposeful. What I'm saying by that now is there needs to be, and again, maybe that 
that phrase isn't just right, but what I'm trying to get out of this is unless you purpose in your heart, it isn't going to happen. We have to purpose to have revival. We need to make a, a conviction to, um, to seek out the things that are going to cause revival, these things that we're learning here, and then really go for it. Revival is purposeful. Well, John 5.39 says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. One of the reasons that we want to go to the Word of God, and David has been giving you uh, good instruction about how we need to go uh, uh, and dig into like Acts and find out what's God really trying to say. What's the message here to them? What's the message here for me? And, and just dig in to the Word of God because... That testifies of Him, testifies of Jesus, and that's where we're going to find purpose. First uh, Thessalonians 5.21, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Prove all things and hold fast. Have a purpose in your heart that you're going to uh, learn what God's message is. You know God is working. That's uh, what we learned the first day, isn't it? In the, the Acts study is God is working. The question is, will we work with Him? You know, I, I find in my life, because I'm a, a doer, and I'm used to doing things and just really going at it and getting it done, and I've learned that if you really put some effort into a thing, you get up early and you get there and you take a hold of it and you get with it, you can make things happen. And so, if you're not careful before long, that's just what you do every day. You just get her done. Just go and get her done on your own agenda by your own strength. And I find that carries into my spiritual life. It's not long before something pops up and I don't even stop to pray. Nope, we've had, see, we had a situation like that a couple weeks ago and here's what we did. Let's just go do it again. And we don't even stop to pray. And another thing I find that this comes into my spiritual life is I begin to think, you know, we, we need revival at Sugar Grove. We really need some revival. Things are kind of dead there and we're just plodding along and we really... It's not. Praise God. Not in every way. I'm just, this is my congregation. You put yours in there. But what I'm saying is, if I'm, if I'm not careful, then I start saying, you know what we really need to do is we need to get together more often and pray. Let's call prayer meetings once a week. And, and we start with our own agenda and then we say, God, don't you think that's a good idea? And we're inviting God into our agenda. And really what we have is we have a plan worked out to do a work for revival and we're trying to get God on our side into our work. But here's what we need to do. God is working. God is interested in revival. God wants revival. And we need to join Him in His work. Join Him in His work. Let's turn to uh, 2 Peter 1. We're going to look at a few Verses here, Second Peter chapter one, starting at verse five. Second Peter one verse five, and beside this, purposeful. Now we're being purposeful about revival, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Okay, we've, we've all read that before. In fact, most of us have it memorized and we can say that. But, you know, how much power is there in this? For if these things be in you, if they be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. He's run out of gas. He's driving a vehicle that has no power. Whether... Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. 
For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one that we need to kind of cut out and put on the mirror. Uh, make a good screensaver too. Giving all diligence. Well, there's another thing we'd like to talk about about revival tonight, and that is the fact that revival is powerful. Revival is powerful. There is power in this thing that God is trying to do in His church. And it starts with us. It's personal. It's penitent. It's purposeful. It's powerful. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Again, we have several verses here, and I hope this doesn't bore you, because to me, the Word of God is quick, it's alive, it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's going to be better than anything I could tell you. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. You know, you can talk all day long. Uh, you can have a fish on your bumper sticker. A fish bumper sticker on your car. You can have um, WWJD bracelet. Uh, I go on and on with that whole thing. All the signs of being a Christian. You can have all that stuff, but there's no power in it unless the heart is changed. The heart is redeemed and the heart is repentant. Revival is powerful. Acts 1.8 But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Has that happened yet? Some heads nodding. How about if we say, Yes! Yes, the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we've received power. What are you doing with that power? Is there any evidence of this in your life? I'm not beating up on you, I'm asking. These are soul-searching questions. I'm asking this of myself. I can tell you that there are times where I have such sour grapes on my face that no one even bothers to ask if there is any hope in my life, let alone what that hope's about. When the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea in all, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now again, this was a prophecy that was being given to them back there in their setting, but it applies today. It applies today on the plane ride home. It applies today. When you're in, uh, somebody mentioned about somebody cutting you off, and I think Troy mentioned cutting Somebody getting cutting you off at the gas station or something like that. Um, it's when uh, the things aren't going right for you and, and um, you know, life is just real, isn't it? And things happen. And sometimes um, the fact that we've received power isn't real manifest in our life. But we want revival, and revival is powerful. 1 Corinthians 2.5 says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, get this, but in the power of God. Your faith shall not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Revival is powerful. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We're just clay pots. But we have within us the power of God. We're actually broken clay pots. But we have within us this beautiful gift of the excellency of the power of God. Ephesians 3.20 now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus 
throughout all ages, world without end. Um, I'm going to get rid of Ichabod. I didn't like him anyway. Exceeding. See, did I get that right? Did I get started right here? Help me out. Exceeding abundantly, right? Exceeding abundantly. Above all that we could ask or think. Now I don't. We breeze over that, and we've all heard this so many times, and we we've read over it so many times. I don't think we get it, just how big that really is. I mean. This thing that we're talking about here is God's work. He wants to do it in our hearts, in our lives, so that it can be in our church, so that it can be in our community. And, and we have at our fingertips, at our fingertips, what if somebody came in here and they said, I can do anything you can ask? Well, first of all, we'd know they were lying, but... But let's just assume, just think about what a, what a miracle that would be or how powerful an individual would be if they could do anything any of you could ask and, and it could be done. Or even think. We could ask or think and they could do it. Well, this power that we're talking about is above that. It goes beyond, well beyond, what we can even ask or think. We can't even conjure up in our mind things like this. It's above that. It's not just above that. It's abundantly above that. I mean, we're way out there now. It's exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's the, the, the resources we have at our fingertips. Now, I'm not, again, I want to make real clear here tonight that I don't want anybody going out of here dragging their tail like I'm not doing what I need to be doing. Uh, I'm not, you know, I really need to be, I'm just, I'm failing here. We all are. None of us are doing everything we could be doing. But what I find in myself is too often I'm expecting something of someone else and if they would just get a revival going over there, I could join it. You ever feel that way? You know, if, if just the older ones in our district would just really get it going. You know, they've got a lot of time on their hands and we're busy and we have small children or you know, you can go on and on and on with the things. But if they would just get it going and then we could come over here and join in with it. But God's calling us to make this thing personal tonight and He's giving us everything we need. Exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. This isn't just our program here. God wants to see revival happen in the church and in our lives. Philippians 3.10 We know this one right, quite well. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Remember what Peter said? Peter said, and remember, somebody commented, I think today maybe about Peter, about relating to Peter. Maybe Benjamin said that. But, but he could really relate to Peter. Someone mentioned that. And I can too. You know, Peter was just kind of impulsive. He was, um, he was reactive. Uh, here comes Jesus with the, the basin and the towel, and he's going to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, oh, no, you're not. You're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus kindly says, well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Oh, well, then just wash my hands and my head. Wash me all over. The impulsive Peter. And we can relate to that nature, can't we? That, that Peter was that way. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Excuse me, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Where I wanted to go with Peter, I lost my track. 
Uh, where I wanted to go with Peter is what he said. Peter said, now that they were begotten again into a lively hope. You want to talk about um, what a revival looks like. Talk about Peter when he's converted. Now he's gotten to begotten again into a lively hope. What by? The power of the resurrection. We heard today that it's about resurrection power. This thing of the Acts of the Apostles isn't over. The things that were going over on back then that was a fire going on, we heard about today, that fire that was burning in Jerusalem can be burning today in Yakima. It can be burning today in Ellensburg, in Covington, Ohio, wherever, if we're there with the power of God. God wants to see a revival in His church and His people. Colossians 1, verse 11. Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. According, and, and this is 2 Peter uh, 1.3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us into glory and virtue. We're just kind of reading through these verses kind of quick. I want to back up on this. According as His divine power hath given un, unto us all things. What are you lacking? That's what I want to ask you this afternoon or this evening. I want to ask you, what are you lacking to have revival in your congregation? What's missing? Anything missing? In our own lives. Might be missing there. Repentance might be. But is there access to it? Has God provided for us? Absolutely. All things. All things have been provided. Well, there's one more thing we'd like to talk about is that revival is propelling. Propelling. It's going to move us forward. Something's going to happen when revival happens. When revival's not a static thing. Uh, you know, static is, is just kind of there. It's just sitting there doing nothing. But revival's dynamic. Revival's dynamic. It's moving. Something's happening. It's not something that you just uh, set up here on the mantle so everybody can look at. The revival's not something that you put on the church sign or, or on above the door or inside on the uh, up front somewhere. Revival's not some trophy. Revival's not um, a mission statement. There's a good, but that's not where it comes from. Revival is a very active, moving, dynamic thing. First Peter uh, 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It moved Peter. It took Peter from a man who stood by the fire and cursed and declared, I never knew the man. I want you to think about that. Here's the Apostle Peter standing by the fire and some little maid says, Hey, you're one of them, aren't you? Nope. Nope, never knew the man. And he actually cursed and swore and said, I never knew Jesus. But the power of the resurrection took him to a place where he died on a cross. History says upside down. I don't know if I can verify that, but I've heard it said that, that Peter was, he refused to be crucified like his Lord. He was crucified upside down. That's from history, not the word. 1 Corinthians 16.13 says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. It's propelling. It's going to move us forward. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Um, Philippians 3.10 verse We got a little bit of this earlier. Now let's get more of it that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Hmm. Conformable unto His death. Are you willing? You know some of the biggest revival in history required death. We've got it easy here, don't we? 
Do you want revival? Well, I don't think, I don't know. I know no one knows the history. I, it's probably not likely that any of you will be called to, to die at the stake. But I'm telling you, you'll never have revival unless there's death. Death to my desires. Death to this man. And life from Jesus Christ. Let's go on with that verse. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Revival propels. There's energy. It's like going into the gas station and fueling up. We drove out of there under power. It's revival is propelling. It is the thing that gives us the power to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to go to one more verse. Let's turn to it so we get our eyes on it. Ephesians 4. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. To us German Baptists in the room, uh, we're familiar with this verse. We've heard it read many times. But I want to back up and read it again. Let's even start in the first verse here together. Ephesians 4.1 I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness with longsuffering forbearing one another in love. And here's what true revival is going to do and come from. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, endeavoring is a strong word. It's not something that, that again, we kind of sit back and say, I, I've heard it said, a lazy boy Christian. That's somebody who sits back in their lazy boy, props their feet up and says, God, move me. That's never going to happen, is it? Never going to happen. Endeavoring is something you put energy into. It's something you put yourself into. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Where I'm going with this tonight is, if we're going to have revival in our local congregation, if we're going to have revival in our own heart, there's only one source for it. And it's the Holy Spirit of God. This says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. I think one of the things that we, we uh, too often find ourselves doing is we're striving to keep unity, but this says the unity of the Spirit. You know what we're really doing here? We're not trying to help the Spirit be unified. We're trying, we're endeavoring to keep the Holy Spirit of God in our life. And that is unity. The only source of unity. If we are going to have revival in our congregations, there must be unity. There must be unity. There is no, uh, you know, there is so much disunity in the world and so much dysfunction in the world that people, when we go over here to Ellensburg and we go on campus, we're going to find people over there that are just in chaos. Their lives are wrecked. There's people who are struggling because they, they don't even, their home life was a wreck. Uh, everything about their growing up, they've already got so much damage in their high school years and now they're in college that their lives are a wreck and they're looking for something to fill the void. We have an opportunity. We really have a, a blessed opportunity if we have unity. Because if we get over there and we have a nice song and we catch their attention and we give them a track, we put our arm around them, we ask them if they'd like to pray, we kneel down and pray. We invite them over to church Sunday. And they come over to church Sunday and it looks like chaos. And they hear bickering and fussing and, and fighting going on in the church. They're out of there. 
and they're never coming back. Unity is so important to revival. So important, and there's only one source for it. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And so tonight as we um, talk about Teshuvah Kavad Hashim, I don't even care if you know what that means. What I want you to know is we're looking for the return of the glory of God in a personal way. It's personal. It's penitent. It's purposeful. It's powerful. And it will be propelling in our lives and in our congregations. God bless you tonight as you have had a big day. It's been a big day, hasn't it? Say it's been a big day. <laughs> we have about 10 minutes here before we're going to have prayer to close this meeting. And I would just like for you to um, think about something that maybe one of these topics spoke to your heart. Or um, maybe you have some insight, some helpful thing that you've experienced the moving of God in your heart and in your life that was a, a powerful moving of God and a reviving thing in you. We've all experienced revival. In fact, did you know what revival... I Look at the word. Revival. I'll put it up here so you can look at it. What's that mean? Again. I don't know what it's like in your life, but from time... I have lived... This Bible is about living. It's being alive. And I have lived with power. And then I've dropped my gaze to a circumstance, to an event, to a schedule, to work, to... And lost my gaze and lost my power. And I had to be revived. And so tonight, maybe we've had, uh, I've seen this in the life of congregations. You know, I've lived long enough to see this cycle where even in a congregation there was, there was a thriving, lively, um, dynamic thing going on that then after a little time kind of got just to be in normal church. And it needed revived, refueled, filled up. Maybe you've had an experience like that you'd like to share. We have about 10 minutes. Yes? Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would share that. Uh, I actually thought about when you, you were talking about Lazy Boy Christians. Um, from my experience, uh, if you sit down in a lazy chair and say, God moved me, he loves you enough that he probably will move you. <laughs> but it's not going to be in a real nice way. Mm -hmm. um, you may have, your friends may <coughs> forsake you. You might... Um, get all the props knocked out from under you and you may have to fully rely on God and suddenly it's not a real comfortable thing. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's better to fall on the rock and be broken than to have the rock fall on us. Amen. I went through a time, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. I've heard of a lot worse, but I did experience some of that. Um, I think what Ben's trying to say is if you sit down in your lazy boy and kick back and pray for God to move you, He might burn your house down. Might be the only way He can get you out the front door. Anything else? Do you have something? Go ahead. I'd like to just share a couple verses, Rod, in inspiration for what you've shared. And especially the, I really appreciated the emphasis you gave that revival is personal and how we long for a big sweeping revival. And I do long for that. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14, God says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city, city two. and two of a family. And I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to my heart, 
which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Mm, yes. I'm just impressed by how revival starts small. He said, mm -hmm. you turn into me, and I'll take you one of a city, mm -hmm. two out of a family, and I'll bring you back to Zion. Mm -hmm. And then I'll give you pastors that are according to my heart. Mm -hmm. so, Amen. Revival sometimes starts small. They need to be personal. Thank you for that. Yep, that... Uh, that, thank you, Joe, for your thoughts. Remember, what David tells, where did this church start? How many? Twelve. Twelve men with the power of God. Now it canvasses the earth. 